listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. And I'm Evie. And that's it. We're running a tight <laughs> ship this week. That's all it is. And the rest of them are out. And so we are hitting just the, the, the coolest topics. We're just, it's just what the two of us want to talk about. It's deadlifting, it's bullying nerds, and it's drinking at bars. And if we get any time, some stuff that I like talking about. <laughs> so much sport. Sorry, this is the Jocks podcast now. This is what's happening. <laughs> this is the Jocks podcast, but I will be the nerd stand in being like, oh, all right, so what is this footed ball we oh. keep hearing about, Evie? <laughs> Evie, uh, sports ball. You can't see it, but I'm pushing the glasses up the ridge of my nose. Uh, Evie, I've heard that football and sports in all ways is very bad and people that enjoy it should feel shame. Yeah, what it's an inherently misogynistic thing, as you as you well know. <laughs> anyway, just, just because we can't be ironic without actually doing the thing, if you're one of those sports ball losers who thinks it's all bad, shut up. But also, listen to the rest of this pod. Yeah, there's going to be some, some good th- shit today. You should probably listen. <laughs> <laughs> Encouraging the people that are listening to our podcast to keep listening. <laughs> Evie, I don't think we're the two best people to have our own pod. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think I think the others have a tempering force. We've already managed to insult people and also like get really close to saying some slurs like within the first five minutes. So. Fuck me dead. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, this is going to be great. Let's do it. <laughs> so first thing this week that I wanted to touch on is the uh, Melbourne Queer Film Festival uh, were asked to drop a pinkwashing Israeli film and join in the BDS, the Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions, uh, that's taking part against the apartheid state of Israel. And they didn't. And that's fucked. Um, you may have seen some of this uh, happening through the week, but there was a movie by an Israeli filmmaker that was funded by the Israeli government called The Swimmer, and a bunch of people went, hey, this is presenting a... This is pinkwashing. This is making the Israeli state look better than it is, and it's trying to make people think that Israel isn't that bad a place. It's, yeah. it's used to distract from the Palestinian conflict. And the Melbourne Queer Film Festival went, hmm, thank you for that. We're still going to screen it, though. The thing with pinkwashing in this context, so pinkwashing is a term that's used in various contexts. Like pinkwashing can be used to um, make capitalist brands seem progressive, like, say, your gay TMs. But in this Mm. context, um, pinkwashing is being used as a sort of soft power um, when it comes to, you know, um, states like, um, Israel and you know the, the constant like conflict in not recognizing Palestine. Um, it it is useful to have movies like this to display Israel as like you know a sanctuary for queer people when it isn't. Um, I, yeah. I, it, like it's 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 displaying Israel in a light that is n- not necessarily true, and also it's like. Even if it doesn't mention the actual conflict or doesn't mention Palestine, that in itself is still anti-Palestinian. Yeah, yeah. The idea that you can like produce this um, like a work of art in Israel from an Israeli perspective that just omits the atrocities. It's it's not admitting to what is happening there in the same way that like Australian art, Australian films, and all the rest of that are inherently colonial. Yeah. We're a colonial outpost. That is the whole thing. And if you don't reckon with that, if you don't at least tacitly acknowledge that, then you're complicit. 
Yeah. Uh, we should talk about the film too. Um, so the film itself, it's called The Swimmer. So it's an Israeli queer film that's part of the festival program. Um, it follows an Olympic swimmer uh, who juggles their feelings for a fellow male athlete as their goal to compete in the, compete in the Olympic Games. Now, as I mentioned before, this doesn't mention the conflict according to, you know, the local queer Palestinian community. It's, it says it's a film that's been funded by the Israeli government. Um, but the thing with that, it's a scheme where artists aren't allowed to say anything bad about Israel. And it's also by a director who's previously made anti-Palestinian films, uh, including one on the um, 2012 attack on Gaza. And that was from an Israeli perspective. So there you go. Like, it's, it's one of those things of it's not about necessarily what it does say, but it's what about it doesn't say and also the context of the person who's making it. And that's yeah. really important, especially in something as um, important to talk about as the Israeli and Palestinian conflict. Yeah, I think it's I've talked about it for the last couple of weeks on the pod, but like when it comes to, you know, propaganda and pink washing and whatnot, we you need to step back from it and and just remember that it's not about any real specific um, idea or or legislation or whatever it's actually talking about. All it is is trying to move a needle in your brain one step away from bad and towards good. And that's it. And so putting this movie out there is just sort of going, hey, Israel's actually really, it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's nice. Hey, don't worry about it. And like, no, it's an apartheid state. There's some really fucking horrible stuff that's going on there at the moment. And this is what, you know, BDS, this is what a boycott actually means. It is supposed to be putting pressure on a state doing horrible shit to get it to stop doing the horrible shit. And you can't just do some things with the state or enjoy some of it and just and then still go, ah, but it is pretty bad what they're doing to Palestine. Yeah. Like this, you, you can't get around it. And this is this is part of the, you know, the, the the feelings that I've had through the week watching this unfold is like I apparently the the director does suck and has done some pretty bad things in the past. But I'm going to assume that at least one person on set, probably heaps of them, are good people, varying degrees of bad people, whatever, whatever. But, like, unfortunately, the boycott is, you know, quote-unquote nationwide. You're caught up in that. Yeah. Like, I know I, I know lots of people who are involved in the Melbourne Queer Festival who agree with the boycott, who definitely, like, you know, are uncomfortable with the fact. And people have resigned from the board as a result. Yeah. Um, you know, people have made their feelings known. Um, Molly Whelan, who's the co-president of MQFF, and another board member, Nayuka Gori, they both stepped down from their positions. Um, Whelan, uh, Molly Whelan said that her values no longer lined up with those of the board. She said that MQFF must listen to the voices of those in our community who face ongoing persecution and be open to doing better. Now, the thing is, when it comes to Palestine – Australia has a really bad history of talking about Palestine. We all know that. Uh, it's been a particular topic of conversation in Australian media this year. In fact, there is a book that came out um, in September called Dateline Jerusalem by John Lyons. He had a, quite a few interviews with people um, talking about um, the restrictions they had in talking about Palestine. Uh, it includes Palestinian people as well, including Janine Kalik. Um, and even Australian, uh, like, you know, white Australian uh, journalists and authors who have constantly come up against opposition in publishing their true feelings and the truth about Palestine um, and just constantly questioning why is it 
that there is so little coverage of Palestine in supposedly progressive outlets, such as Fairfax, such as the Saturday paper, such as any sort of Schwartz publication. Um, And the conversation is now open in talking about how Australia as a settler colonial state can't talk about Palestine in this way without sounding like hypocrites. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's it's because of everything that's happened, especially in the last year, but over the last fucking decade, we are finally at a at a position, thanks to groups like queer Palestinians who have been, you know, calling for a protest against Melbourne Queer Film Festival, to really put a flag in the fucking ground and go, no, we have to stop accepting this sort of shit. We have to draw a line somewhere, and it it will, you know roll into the fucking a film festival at some point. You know, it can't just be, you know, Saturday protests about, you know, a, a current conflict. You have to keep putting your money where your mouth is. And it fucking sucks as well because the Melbourne Queer Film Festival has done some really good shit. Yeah. But then they just drop the ball on this. It's truly disappointing. It, that's the thing as well, is that it's not just like, oh, you know, you know fucking the Liberal government did some bad shit. And you're like, oh, well, of course they did. For the Melbourne Queer Film Festival to drop the ball this badly and to have members of the board leave just goes to show how, at best, and being as fucking charitable as I can be, just how slow they were to react to this and to really think about where they want to land on it. They released a statement saying that, like, you know, in their defense of continuing to show the film, that the film itself doesn't comment on Israel and Palestine and the conflict that's happening there, the quote-unquote conflict, but also that they want to remain apolitical. The queer film festival wants to remain apolitical. It's like, that's not what the film festival is. That's not the queer experience. That's not... What it's ever been. Sorry to point out the obvious, but being queer in itself is a political position. That's just what it is. And not even by choice. Most of the time, queer people have had to be fucking political more often than they would even fucking like to be because that is the experience, that's the lived queer experience. And the Melbourne Queer Film Festival was one film festival as part of a huge queer conglomerate of what was essentially a type of activism centering queer voices oppressed voices and giving legitimacy to their artistic expression and their stories and then to just go oh but you know we want to make we want to make sure everyone gets their stories told and it's like you cannot disentangle Israeli queer stories from the Israeli state when the state is funding the fucking stories. I know. It's Sorry, just... it's not how it works. You you can't do it. I, I was really heartened to see so many people uh, announcing that, A, they wouldn't be going to the the festival or, you know, cancelling their tickets. Uh, I really liked Neyu Kagori's um, statement when they stepped down from their position on the board. Um, they wrote a resignation letter that was also published in Vice. Uh, Just a a line from that letter. Uh, As an Indigenous person of this place, allowing myself or any organisation I'm a part of to be used in the propaganda machinery of a settler state makes me sick and sad. I officially resign and call on all of you to cancel the film screenings of The Swimmer. It's not too late to be on the right side of history and to listen to your community. That's exactly what you need to say. I'm part of a settler state. If I'm spreading propaganda... I can't be part of that. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think as well, like, like when you said heartening, I felt the same way and also felt 
like like the disappointment and like not the resignation but yeah there was this sadness with people having to take a stand they didn't want to do it but they still did so many things people i saw were just like i i don't want to cancel my tickets i i want to go to this movie i love this festival but i cannot abide this this is fuck this is too far and like <sighs> Yeah, that that fucking sucks that they even need to be disappointed in a film festival or miss out on some events when the easy way around it is to not show a pink washing Israeli film at the film festival. I like, pretty Yeah, pretty you have easy. to wonder you have to wonder at what point do people look at that? And you you would ha- surely you would have had to look at this programming and think this is probably going to cause some problems. How do we face any sort of backlash that comes from it. Like, it, yeah. it defies belief to me that someone would not consider the issue, especially when um, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival has come under criticism previously for not having Arab films. So, you know, it's not an issue that is foreign to them. They have chosen actively to ignore it. Yeah. Um, I also want to um, – we'll put a couple of links in the show notes to just um, um, Palestinian activists talking about the boycott. Um, but one in particular I also want to highlight is um, Lujan Hirani, who was speaking on In Your Face at 3CR, um, who's a member of the group of queer Palestinian activists who demanded the boycott. Um, and, yeah, they just speak, again, really just from the heart about what a betrayal this is of the community to be participating in this kind of pinkwashing. <laughs> All right, um, we have some good news this week. It's good news! And by good news, I mean really just personally fucking incredible news to me at least and I think is just something that will be looked back on as I think a very historical moment in sport in this country, let alone AFL. Um, Danny Laidley, who is a former North Melbourne football club coach uh, who transitioned um, and was outed against her will uh, in terms of her transition um, about 18 months ago now, um, has finally come out. And I think this is a really – it's not just a significant moment for sport, but just I understand the significance of it to her. Um, in a press conference talking about um, other North Melbourne um, you know, news, she came out as – alongside all the other coaches, um, past coaches of the North Melbourne Football Club and talking about how not only she is, you know, proud of herself in being who she is, but also being embraced by the sporting community at North Melbourne. And I I don't know how to talk about this in like terms where I'm not going to like burst into tears because it's just so, it's so incredible in a sport that is so – hyper masculine even with like a women's like league being added it is a it's a it's a league where there is no out gay player and now we have a trans woman who is being embraced by her community and being held up as you know just an incredible part of north melbourne history i i don't know what to say i'm just like i feel so proud of it it's just wonderful yeah it's i mean as someone who isn't into sports, shocking for people listening, I'm not, you know, big into sports. And even I saw these articles and the the outpouring and was like, holy shit, this is like, this feels seismic. Just to have, it, it feels seismic 
to have someone so nonchalantly embraced. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, like she just she just came back and she was embraced and everyone was like, yeah, she fucking rules. Yeah. And like that's that's massive because obviously the fear for decades, centuries, whatever, is that that does not happen. Yeah. And like society has felt like it's been lagging. And then obviously, like you said, in football, the perception is that it is, you know, hyper masculine, it's it's gronkery, it's like, you know, knuckle dragon bullshit there. And then to have to have Danny just be like supported by some of the most old school blokey blokes. Yeah. <laughs> just shows how fucking easy it is and that no one has any fucking excuse. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to speak a little bit to the the history that is involved in that has led up to this moment. Um so some of you some listeners may know that um unfortunately um Danny was um outed against her will. Um in particularly harrowing circumstances, she was charged with um, you know, she had criminal charges against brought up against her. There were drug charges and stalking charges um, involving a previous partner. Um, but in those charges, um, pictures of her um, as she was being booked um, were leaked to um, outside people and the photos were taken by police and circulated amongst police officers with a lot of transphobic comment. It was a big enough incident that hundreds of people were investigated by IBAC. Um, there's still legal action being taken against the Victorian police force. Um, it was a very serious incident. Um, and insofar as the actual charges as well, it's a very – and I with full recognition that, you know, a, a, it's a very traumatising thing to be involved in both for the person who brought these charges as well as Danny. Um, this is part of her experience and there's like a lot of complicated, you know, legal and mental health and personal challenges involved in that. Um, and honestly, like the thing with her charges and the, the outcome of her sort of circumstances is something that I want for everyone. So she was put on a, no, a non-conviction um, and also put into a drug re- re- rehabilitation program and diverted from prison. And that's something I would want for everyone. I would want people yeah. to, con- like, you know, to have that option available to all of them. Like, I really, I'm so happy that Danny had that. And I'm happy that, you know, she had a program that allowed her to um, make amends and, you know, have full understanding of what she did. Um, and apologizing <laughs> to a victim and everything. We're gonna we're gonna take a divergence into fucking abolitionist yeah, theory this now. Is, but like, <laughs> honestly, this, it really is. It, it really is something that is so blatant to me that someone can turn around their life by not putting them in prison. And luckily, Danny had the full support of you know a legal system in the North Melbourne Football Club and it involves a lot of money. I want to, I want to recognise that. She is very lucky and ha- to have that support, um, yeah. you know, and to have like, you know, some like a whole network of North players who were there standing beside her to help her through this. Not everyone gets that experience, uh, you know, and something that, it, that I really wanted to highlight in talking about this, um, there is an article in The Age talking about this behind-the-scenes experience that Danny had um, where there's also an interview with Hannah Mouncey, who's also another trans player who has come up against, um, you know, the various challenges that trying to be an AFL football player but also trans is. 
Um, and she was denied sort of access to not only playing but also support for the kind of horrific abuse that she had. And the article notes that she, Hannah was not part of the system in the same way that Danny is. And yeah. what I really hope is that to have someone as significant as Danny there now is not only recognizing that everyone should be treated in this way, everyone should be embraced by their, by their team members, by their friends, um, you know, supported in a way that looks after their mental health, um, but also that there's another way. You don't have to, like, if, you, if Danny didn't have to be sent to prison and can be rehabilitated, you know, in a loving and understanding way, that possibility is there for everyone. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's a huge thing of just, like, it, sending people to jail, in my opinion, isn't real justice because yeah. then it makes it makes – makes their lives worse. Nothing really happens for the people who were victimized if they were like, but, but this like rehabilitation is fucking amazing. And if it can, you know, help that's great because it'll mean there's less crime in the future. But as we can see in this case, it comes from a fucking supportive community. Um, One thing I would want to speak on though, and you know, this is coming from my ignorant (laughs) sports ball background. You would know more about this, but like, in football itself, they are taken care of pretty well traditionally. Like it, yeah. you know, the the, the term of the oh, boys' absolutely. club yeah. is that footballers, for the most part, don't face the same consequences as people out in the community. And part of the argument for that is that oh, well, the club will take care of it internally. And like, you're not an extrajudicial, you know, part of Australia. Fuck you. But. As we can see, it can actually help. We don't need to be sending these people to prison. And hopefully what you would see is that when, you know, players commit some fucking horrendous shit, that the club circle the wagons and go, you won't do that again and we're not going to let you. We will help you get out of that. We will rehabilitate you. And sometimes they fucking don't. That's a whole different conversation. Yeah. But like, uh, so this is the thing. Like, I, I know... I I know a lot of the commentary around Danny from more transphobic people is highlighting the fact that like you know that she was caught in particularly dire circumstances but I just I I think the fact that of, of the thing that she was going through immediately changes the context very separately from any sort of um usual you know male footballer being caught in these circumstances it's yeah just on a, on a coke bender somewhere. Yeah. Like, oh, you're you're too young and rich to to handle it. Oh, yeah. What a fucking shot. And look, yeah. and considering, like considering Danny's situation, she could have easily been left just to flounder on her own. I could have easily seen that happening. Like I, I'd fucking hope it wouldn't happen at the North Melbourne Football Club. And it was very like a really huge fucking relief to see that they supported her in this way. But considering, as you said, it, the, that footy is a boys' club, they could have easily said something incredibly like you know transphobic and said well you're on your own because you're not actually one of us and that's not true she is one of she she is part of the family and people do want to support her and also people have recognized um not really touched on um well touched on a little bit in the coverage is that Danny has struggled with this since she was a teenager, it is something that has like been sort of simmering in the background, even when she was a player, even when she was a coach. Um, so part of also, the, I think what has led to this acceptance and like the and this moment 
is that her teammates recognize her past and see that in the present and like you know are just like well it's this you, this is how you've always been and that's fine you know yeah there's there's there hasn't actually been a change from you internally yeah. what's different is now you know the acceptance that you've felt has allowed you know you to be more yourself as opposed to oh you've changed and it's like no but but this is again the thing that blows my fucking mind is that like it was so fucking easy. Yeah. There was no issues. None of the reporting says that anyone struggled with anything or there was internal tension or some people in the club resigned. It's like, no, everyone was just like, oh, yeah, no, you got some troubles? Come on, we'll help. Yeah. And if, yeah. But if a, f- fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> like, even if you have the worst view of sports, if they can do that so fucking easily, then, I don't know, it gives me, like, a, a, a nice feeling inside they're just like fuck it, it it can just sort of be done and what we really need to fight against are the 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 voices saying that it can't be because they're quite obviously fucking wrong yeah they want to convince you that it's difficult they want to convince you that heaps more people are transphobic just like them but they're fucking there's not many of them they're just very vocal about it yeah but they can fuck off into the sun like no it's it doesn't matter what they think. Just don't let them convince you that it's still actually a little bit fraught. Yeah. And and, and this is this is the thing I, I, I keep thinking about when it comes to my undergrads in terms of like you know, the the world is a harsh place. So make sure you, you know you, you get out there and you know you you be ruthless and take what you want, blah blah blah. Always keep in mind that it's usually people that make things difficult. Mm. So when people are talking about, you know, oh, it's 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 a fraught situation with, you know, trans people in this or that situation. It's like, and why is it fraught? Is it a force of nature? Is it tidal? Is it like gravity? No. Someone's being a fuckhead about it and they could choose not to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I really also want to, I, I'll say word for word what Ben Armafio, um, who's the head of the North Melbourne Football Club, um, said um, on the day itself. He said, it's been well documented that Danielle went through some pretty tough times last year and clearly we share concern for all the parties involved in her past legal matters, but I'm really proud of the fact that past and present people in the club didn't hesitate to take strong and swift action to help Danny in her greatest time of need. Former teammates, past administrators, player, player managers, assistant coaches, people came from everywhere without being asked twice. Like, fucking... Here's here's the thing. That's gorgeous in this context, but the weird part about progress in this field is that that's also just a very milquetoast statement that they would put out about like any legacy coach that fell on hard times that they were helping. Yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. Of just sort oh, of yeah. just like there's no there's no like valorization purely because of her identity. There's no like there's no, you know, like putting the progressive credentials forward. Or fuck it, there's no pinkwashing of the situation. It's not like our club's so good. Look how progressive we are. It's like, no, one of our own, one of our tribe was in trouble and we helped him. And that's it. And that's gorgeous. That's that's such a good point because they don't at no point in the coverage of this. And by the way, the, the press conference that they were having was actually about North Melbourne becoming debt free after nine years of like legacy debt. Like they're a very, hey! they're a very small club. And so this is like a big deal. <laughs> they paid off all their credit cards. Yeah, like it, I'm very proud of them. Like, but also like th- this is the context in which it was presented. And 
you know, Danny obviously made reference to the fact that she was, you know, in public for the first time as Danny. Um, she said something that, like, immediately, like, I'm a big sook, so it made me tear up almost immediately. <laughs> um, she said, I'm very proud today. It's probably the first time I've represented my old tribe and my new tribe, which, like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. I'm so happy about it. Like, and just the pictures with her, just, like, you know, joking and laughing with everyone and all of them just, just there, like, like they're just catching up after a long time. Like, ah, oh, fuck, I love it so much. <laughs> it's good. It's good news. It's good news. So joining us now, though, we have a special guest on to talk about the uh, Victorian Pride Lobby's recent report, Upholding Our Rights. Uh, she's come in from the Not Good Enough podcast. It's Evie. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the first half hour sucked shit. But now, <laughs> this is really great. Well, buckle up, fuckers. Okay. Um. <laughs> no, we do, we're doing a thread, you <laughs> chuckle fucks. Um, um. Look, th- this is actually something really cool um, well, and very important that um, I've come on to talk about today. <laughs> this, is, this has been 99 episodes just to get to this. You've just been <laughs> – this is the long con. <laughs> well, so this week um, – the Victorian Pride Lobby released a report. It's actually a report that is a result of the biggest survey of LGBTIQA plus Victorians about police attitudes. Now, you may have recall me five minutes ago alluding to <laughs> Danny Laidley um, and her arrest. Um, that is one of the things that we talked about in this report um, and just basically how queer people uh, don't feel like they are respected or um, understood by the cops and, in fact, feel that cops are quite hostile and aggressive and therefore don't trust them enough to actually have any sort of conversation to them, even in the first instance, at first point of contact, won't go to the police when they're victimised, and also have the attitude that they will be treated badly by the police. And they have good reason to. There are a lot of very high-profile cases in Victoria alone that lead them to feel that way. Yeah, there was the one that always sticks out to me is when the cops stormed the wrong address yeah. and broke a gay dude's arm, and then and just and then just sort of fucked off and then tried to do the whole like, oh, don't worry about it, it's all good. Yeah, like, oh, so, we, yeah, um, we, we made a mistake. Like there was some serious damages that you fucking inflicted, and then the, the fact that you didn't make amends properly or even attempt to results in re- like this type of report coming out going, hey, queer people really don't feel you know, that they can trust you or supported by you. And then for the Vic police to turn around and just go, oh, what do you mean? It's like, shut up. You fucking know why this happened. And even if, even if, this isn't the case, but even if the queer community could trust cops in Victoria, the cops need to just fucking ask themselves why they don't think they can. Yeah. This isn't about – do not, when you hear about this report or see anything, talk about, you know, the facts and figures of when they do actually support people and, you know, arrest rates and this and that and the other. This is about fucking perceptions. Yeah. And so if you if you personally think you're a really good person and then a report comes out from 1,500 people in the community going, no, you're a piece of shit, like, don't get your back up and go, but I'm not a piece of shit. You need to go, oh, why do they all think that? 
maybe I should address those concerns. I'd like pe- I'd like people to be able to read that report and understand the the sort of groundswell of emotion that comes from that. So the thing that you were referring to before was um, the raid of the Hares and Hyenas bookstore in Fitzroy. It's a it's an iconic place. It's something. It's a place that's not just a bookstore, but it's been a meeting place for such a long time. Um, and the raid happened in 2019. Um, and Roland Thompson actually spoke um, on the ABC um, in the context of our report talking about this um, raid. And he was there. He saw Nick's arm being broken um, and just the impact on itself. Like it was incredibly brave for him to speak on, you know, publicly about it after the fact. Because personally, I would just I, like, you know, that's the kind of trauma that you live with for the rest of your life. And, you know, of course – of course it impacts the way in which you view the police because if you if you have this happen to you um, and then there's an IBAC investigation and the IBAC investigation finds that, oh, actually the police acted in a proper way, what? how <laughs> are you supposed to feel about the police that even not only do they get away with it but an independent investigation says it's fine too? Like there's – it just – it – defies belief there are two r- things you can take away from that result either they the cops can act inappropriately and so i don't feel safe or cops are allowed to act that way yeah and i still don't feel safe yeah like neither of those results are fucking good you can see it with your fucking own eyes like that that that's that that's totally fucked and it kind of doesn't matter whether it was inappropriate and they got away with it or that's just what is being a cop. That's what it entails. Like, no, there's something fundamentally fucking wrong then. Yeah. Uh, so, like, so in the actual survey itself, uh, nearly 60% of survey respondents said that the Hares and Hyenas raid um, where the police mistakenly arrested and seriously injured Nick Dimopoulos, uh, they said that it deterred them from seeking police help because they felt that they would perhaps be treated in a way that was inappropriate if they went to the police. Um, IBAC's finding um, was it's been described as legally contradictory uh, because it found the human rights of Nick were impacted but that Victoria Police's conduct was lawful and reasonable. Like, that doesn't... <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> that, that, that seems to be a conflict there. Um, and this is... The, the cherry on top of that was that in a media interview around the IBAC findings, um, the Victorian Police Association Secretary, Wayne Gatt, said that he was proud of the police and the way they acted in that scenario, which is, yeah, an unacceptable thing to say. Um, and you can hardly blame people for looking at that and thinking... I I can't trust the police to harm me even more when I'm in a situation that is particularly dire. Um, and so that's like that's one of the incidents um, that sort of focused um, a lot of people's attitudes towards the police um, within this survey. The other, of course, is Danny Laidley. Um, so there were 39 police officers involved in the circulation of the images of her arrest. Um, there were hundreds more that were interviewed um, as part of the internal and IBAC investigations. Um, and 53.9% of people in this survey said that the Laidley case deterred them from seeking police help. And ninety over 90% said that it made, made them feel police officers lacked awareness about trans and gender diverse people. Yeah. I mean, it certainly makes me fucking feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. I'm, like I'm not trans, but I'm queer, and I would feel very 
hesitant to talk to the police if I felt that they did they couldn't treat me in a way that was at 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 the bare minimum respectful. Like, yeah, right. At, at the like, bare minimum, if I can't if I can't expect the police to take covert photos of me and and circulate homophobic or transphobic remarks, what what could you possibly expect of the police? I don't know if this actually it got into it in the in the report itself, but I mean there was all that reporting from you know the IMARC rallies where there was you know the white nationalist hand signals and the mottos and stuff from the violent cops that were there and then there was all the reporting into those cops and other victorian cops being in the facebook chats with their like the racist and anti-immigrant shit and the you know the very right wing sort of stuff all of that also filters into discourse on queer people because queer people know better than most that like well i mean i should Shouldn't actually say that because it's essentially white people don't know this. But essentially, like, people who are in very privileged positions in their society don't seem to recognize how interconnected, I suppose, all the oppressions are. Yeah. But, like, when you see cops acting in really horribly racist ways, it's not a hard, it's not a strain on the imagination to think, fuck, they don't like queer people either. And like, why? Why would they? It's one of those things where, if you know it affects one, uh, one sort of axis of oppression, you know it's going to affect everyone else. And exactly. as always, you know, uh, people of color, queer people, and sex workers are all the canaries in the coal mines when it comes to the way in which 100%. police interact with people um, and with yeah. civilians. Um, you know, and if any of those people are having bad experiences and demanding better, um, everyone else should has to stand by them because if it's happening to them, it will happen to you too. Yeah, it it filters up. When cops can act with impunity against some people, what makes you think they would stop acting that way to other people? Exactly. Like you, you when you when you when you say limit police powers, it's not just legislative. And we've seen as well when they do internal reports, they find that they've done nothing wrong themselves. Oh, okay, I fucking trust that. But like. There, there is nothing to suggest that cops won't get fucking too big for their boots and continue to get harsher and harsher on other people when they can essentially keep pushing the boundaries on this shit. And, like, the, the thing for me is, like, I saw it at the IMARC protest especially, is when they really started to get full on about their hatred of the other, but it was just, you know, lefties against climate change, essentially. And... The Victorian police have a fucking story, horrible history about, you know, deaths in custody with Indigenous Australians, with, you know, treating queer people horrendously. And it was just a further extension of that at the IMARC protest. And when nothing happens internally, when no reform is shown to be taking place in the police department, there's nothing else but for public opinion to drop. Yeah. Of course it's going to fucking drop. Yeah. So this, and this is something like the contents of this report should actually just not be a surprise because even within the police force themselves, there's constantly, like in recently, there's been discussion of the Victorian police force discriminating against fellow officers for being queer. Yeah. So in 2019, um, there was a report by the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commissioner, Kristen Hilton, who found that many queer police officers experienced discrimination from mid-ranking senior members of Victoria Police. And she said that homophobia, transphobia, and a hyper-masculine and heteronormative culture continue to drive work 
workplace harm behaviours against some LGBTI employees. So, you know, if... Not, and, and, it's like sports. And, and see, it, it really, like, it's, it's one of those things that if the environment is like that within, of course, the, out, the without, the outward sort of actions of the police are going to be informed by that. And yeah. we've received a lot of feedback from the police saying, you know, we've got these kind of education modules. We're constantly trying to, like, you know, a lot of queer police officers feel like they're, you know, properly represented. There's lots of, um, uh, there's a lot of um, gay and lesbian officers too who are specifically taking training to be considered as officers um, that can be called upon by members of the gay community if there is a specific like concern that is that they can help with. Um, even with that in mind, um, people continue to have bad experiences with the police and if there's still bad experiences happening within the police force, something that's something that needs to be looked at in a very serious and completely reformatory way. And, you know, constantly yeah. saying, yeah, we're looking at it is not enough. There has to be full transparency about it. The, the constant looking at it is a delaying tactic to do anything yeah. is part of the issue as well. Like, I don't, I don't, like, you don't have to keep looking at it. An external body has now released a fucking report on it. That should be enough. That, sh that should be enough for the cops to go, ah, uh, probably some sort of issue here. Let's actively work to fix the issues. But you are, you're, you're 100% right as well in that if they don't take action to fix the internal problems and the internal attitudes of cops that are there, then anything they do externally is just going to be fucking wallpaper. Yeah. It's, it's going to it's going to be superfluous to the actual problem because you like if you send officers to types of training on how to you know interact with the queer community, all you're then doing is getting really fucking horrendous people to like grin and bear it when they go out into the fucking community, and I don't want that. If we have to have cops, I genuinely want them to be better people as opposed to people who know the right words to say and people who know how to, you know, keep their bullshit in check when they're out with fucking guns and the license to commit violence against me. No. Yeah. Fuck off. Expel these people. Oh, and the one thing that, like, really gets me about this is that reform isn't an education module. It's not like a. It's not something like like a, a seminar that you watch over your lunch break. Yeah. This it yeah, has to yeah. be. It has to be a full systemic thing that is taken seriously. And I'll be honest with you. Like I, I'm not. I'm not convinced that internal training is going to do it. You have to like if if internal training is just like your little you know professional training module that like some of us like email jobs people have to do over lunch break. You know, yeah. it has to be something way more serious than that. And I also, and this is, and just to touch on a final thing about this, um, unfortunately, it feels like this report um, has gotten a lot of attention because we called on it earlier this year in signing an open letter by um, Pride in Protest NAM in calling for police officers not to march in uniform at Pride. Um, and so a lot of the coverage of this survey has been about the fact that survey respondents overwhelmingly do not want police officers to march in uniform. That, you know, there's a strained enough relationship with the Victorian police that they feel like actions should have consequences and that consequences, if you can't respect the community, 
you don't get to march in pride in uniform. And I personally feel that is a very small price to pay in terms of basic respect of this is our event. If you choose to, you know, disrespect us, the least you can do is act like, you know, is take off the uniform, take off the gun and march as part of our community and be serious in having that conversation about making amends. But yeah. if, if if you keep on, you know, wanting to like, you know, deciding, no, that's that's too much, that's too much of a, a price to pay, then do you want to work with us or not? Um, you know, there are so many, like this year particularly, there's been a lot of communities happening in um, the US, um, in New Zealand, where this conversation is happening, where people like, you know, queer, the queer community is saying enough, you know, if you want to march in pride, don't march in uniform. Come as part of the community. What's that thing men- I mentioned, you know, when we were talking about Israel as well, is that, like, if you are a queer police officer and you're hurt by that, then that really does suck that you're caught up in that part of it. But, like, you have to understand that it is the overall large system that is the problem, that is that is crushing queer communities, that the queer communities do not trust. And so you need to take your uniform off because when you're in uniform, you are representing the system, not yourself. Yeah. That's what you're there representing in that moment. And unfortunately, the system that you are a part of cannot be trusted. And that fucking sucks. So work harder to make it trustable. Yeah, like- and nobody identifies as a cop. In terms of their personality, the, uh, you, some cops do, Evie. <laughs> you, you identify as queer, and like you know, a lot of the the pushback we get is, but people really like being police officers, and they're really disappointed, and they feel like they're respected within the policing community. That's not the point, though. Like pride, yeah. pride started as a protest. We say this all the time. Pride in itself is a protest against being constantly isolated by other members of you know different communities and having this for ourselves. And the terms of being part of Pride is that you respect people's right to be who they are without pushing back against that. And unfortunately, police officers have not proven to, you know, be able to respect that. And so I think it is a very small ask to say, don't march in uniform. But also that, like, the the cops are the state doing the pushing. Yeah. Like when you when you say like it was it was a protest it started as a protest it was a protest against the state yeah. it wasn't a protest against like other civil services or private groups or whatnot it was that they weren't recognised properly by the fucking state and so for cops to be involved in pride is for pride to say we have come so fucking far that now cops are allowed to come to our event it is not for cops to go oh, I should be at your event no. It's not how it fucking started. It's not where the struggle was. And it is absolutely not within your rights to just go, but cops should be there as well. You are the system that was hurting people. Yeah. You can come and wear the fucking uniform when the work is finished, yeah. not when it started. The, the invitation for cops to be there in uniform should be purely conditional. You have 100%. to prove it. And also, don't fucking come with your guns, you gronks. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's dumb as hell. Don't do that. <laughs> Fuck me dead. Anyone, in any way, don't come to a Pride March with a gun. Fuck me dead. Yeah. Like, it, 
you see what I mean, right? It's it's seen as a hostile force in and of itself. And if you feel bad about that, you should consider why that is the case. People don't like, yeah. and, and you know, like I always hear a complaint like, well, ambulance officers come in uniform, firefighters come in uniform. Yeah, but nobody feels threatened when they're looking at a firefighter. <laughs> I feel horny, but I don't feel threatened. <laughs> Now, <laughs> fuck's sake! But this is but this is the thing is I think I think those are instructive examples so far as like if it came out that the Victorian firefighters were selectively not putting out the fires of queer people or if there was a history of them hurting queer people and the queer community went we don't fucking trust firefighters then it would make sense yeah. to go sorry you can't be in that uniform there like it, it also if it was a if it was a private company like say fucking Kmart had scandal after scandal with queer people it would be much more obvious and salient to so many more people to go, oh, yeah, well, Kmart can't go to Pride. That makes sense. But because police are the violent people of our society, then there's this sort of weird veneer where we go, oh, sure, they're violent, but they're supposed to be. Let's all get them into Pride. And, like, fucking no, absolutely not. (laughs) And, and yeah, like, it's not that, like, brands haven't been protested before. Like, brands that have been involved in um, detention centres, um, military um, organizations in the US, people have protested their presence and pride and with good reason. If they're harming people in the community, why do you want them at a community inclusive event? Yeah. And I think this is the thing as well. It doesn't even need to be like harming queer people in queer communities, specifically in Melbourne. Like, uh, again, like the intersection of. Yeah. Intersectionality is what it fucking oh, is. Oh yeah, it, it's the like I the term intersectionality gets uh, used and abused quite a bit, but this is literally it. Um, you know, we t- in the, in the actual survey, um, there is a very wide discussion about why the effects of you know police brutality and violence on um, non-white communities and also sex workers impacts us too uh, is because. Like, like I was saying before, it's the canary in the coal mine. It's really important that we look after all those those axes of yeah. oppressions and to make sure that everyone is looked after. And that includes making sure that people who don't make those people feel safe aren't welcome. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. Share us with all of your friends. Spread us via word of mouth. It's very, very good. Now that lockdowns are over everywhere and we're never going to have one again, perfect opportunity to go to the pub and talk about your favourite podcast, Ozpol Snack Pod. And then your second favourite podcast, <laughs> Not Good Enough. Yeah. Let everyone know. You, you can listen to us while you're going out for your little jogs now. That's, that's great. <laughs> I mean, you could do that before. You could even do that in lockdown, but you should still do that anyway, still. Yeah, 100%. Um, but also, if you want to get in touch with us on social media, it's uh, at NotGoodPod everywhere. And you can shoot us an email, NotGoodPod at ProtonMail.com. Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present, and sovereignty was never ceded.